Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com ask and post it. And if you want to go on the show with me, check that box. So speaking of which, coming up in a few minutes, we're not doing a Clark Rageous moment today. We're doing a sizzling deal that is a new offer just for people who work serving us in law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, that sort of thing. I'm going to tell you about the deal so you can know what's available to you because today is actually First Responders Day. I didn't know there was such a thing. And coming up yet later, here we are closing in on November and a huge percent of us have not taken their vacation. We got to talk. And I want to talk right now about something that is, there's so many things in any society that are referred to as a crisis. But I want to talk about something that is a problem that we as a society have had trouble addressing. And that is affordable housing. You know, I've discussed over time how difficult it is for an individual or a family now or a couple to buy a first home, that the amount of pay that it takes to buy that first home is so much more difficult than it's been at any time since 1948. And that's a long time ago, right? That you got to go that far back to find where the ability for people to buy a home has been so rough. Well, one of the reasons why is a NIMBY problem, you know, a not-in-my-backyard thing, where in more and more places around the country, restrictive zoning has made it difficult, if not impossible, for a developer or a builder who wishes to build more affordable housing to be able to do so. And there have been attempts I shared with you quite a few months ago about zoning changes happening in the Minneapolis metro area to make it possible for more affordable housing to come into neighborhoods in spite of neighborhood opposition. And now Oregon is much in the news because Oregon passed a law that's phased in in 2021, if I remember right, that will allow for people to build, let's say, a garage apartment or build a little second structure at their home. Some areas of metro Atlanta now have rules that permit for people to have a second structure at their home that they rent out as a way of creating affordable housing. We have a serious problem in the country where we have so many Americans who are under age 40 who just flat out cannot afford to buy a home. And some of that is on the building industry because we lost most of our independent builders last decade in the aftermath of the real estate bust. And the big publicly traded builders wanting to make their stockholders happy tend to push everything towards more expensive higher-end housing. 
And so there's very little thought or effort going into building more affordable housing, more affordable homes, and using newer methods of construction that make it easier to build less expensive housing. You know, the irony is the hotel business in the United States has been at the forefront of using newer methods of construction that allow for much more affordable uh, hotel rooms to be constructed. But those methods have not really bled over into traditional housing. But we as a country need to become experimental and look at so many different ways, including 3D printing, which has been something that various communities in Texas have been experimenting with, where you 3D print a house in three days' time, and the house in just weeks is ready to move into at a much lower cost of construction and much, much lower utility bills. So there are ways we can be creative. We just need to have private industry and government in a mind meld to create that more affordable housing so that today's 20 and 30-somethings can have the same opportunity at home ownership as the last many generations have had access to. Walter's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Walter. Hello, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Walter. How can I be of service to you? Well, I need some guidance. I received a letter from my credit union stating that the credit union has now adopted a new arbitration of claims and dispute resolution uh, provision. It states that no action or joiner of parties uh, could be through a uh, court system. So we're basically uh, giving away all of our rights for courts uh, through the courts except for small claims courts. And we can opt out of this agreement uh, if we choose to do so in writing. So I just wanted to know if we should, like most of the 160,000 members of the union, credit union, uh, just recycle the letter, or should we send a notice in that we disagree with the dispute resolution process? Well, first of all, I find it disgusting that a credit union would pull a bank-type move and say that you give up your rights under the Constitution. And... I despise these kangaroo court arbitrations that companies impose on us. And a credit union, uh, you're one of the owners of the credit union. Yes. And it's your elected board of directors that most of us that are credit union members don't even bother to, to vote for or against people running for the board of credit unions. They're the ones that adopted this. And yes. it's, it's just terrible. Because uh, hopefully a credit union would never pull a stunt that would be anti-member, since it's owned by the members. Exactly. And I don't know what motivated it. Maybe there was a nuisance lawsuit that the credit union faced from a member that costs your fellow membership a lot of money. But I just don't like these mandatory arbitration things at all. So you have the right if you bother to mail something in to opt out of the mandatory opt. And do they say they're going to kick you out of the credit union if you opt out? No, sir. So you can can and should 
send in that you're opting out. But truth is, most people never read these notices that come, and there will be probably less than 100 people that will take the action that you might well take to send in and say that you refuse the arbitration. Yes, I agree. But that is what I would do. Great. Thank you very much. And I would bend the ear of, if you ever go to one of your meetings that they hold, one of the board meetings, Yes. I would request an opportunity to speak to the board and express your opinion about why you feel that of all places a credit union should not do something adversarial like this to its membership. Great. Well, thanks for the guidance. Sure, and have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. So that's a very uncredit union-like thing to do. Greg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Greg. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Mr. Clark Howard, sir. Well, Greg, it's so funny you're calling about adding an in-law suite to your home since it's so much dovetails with what I was just talking about with creating affordable housing. Tell me what you're thinking of doing. Um, Well, I wanted to first off say thank you to you and your team. Honestly, you've been a great help over the years. I started first listening to you on WZTK. And my wife has seriously wanted to have me tested for a speech impediment because when she asks me a question, my answer usually starts off with, well, Clark says. (laughs) She's had enough of me, huh? Yes. (laughs) Well, a lot of times my wife's had enough of me, too. (laughs) (laughs) But but they're always right. That is right. Okay. Uh. The issue that we're addressing right now is that my mother-in-law has been in a uh, assisted care living center for some time. Uh, it's been a couple years now and everything, and her finances are uh, dwindling. So we're looking to see about having to build on an addition to our house, like a, uh, what do they call granny flats? Right. Um, so we can take care of her and have uh, you know make sure that she's taken care, well taken care of and everything. And I'm trying to you know we've already hired the architect to start getting at some designs and everything in place. And then I was just concerned about the financing, and I was trying to see what would be better if it would be better for a home equity loan, or a HELOC, or a personal loan. I wasn't sure of which one it could be. Um, Normally not a personal loan. Okay. So uh, the question that comes down with a home equity line or home equity loan, first I need to find out from you, what kind of equity do you have in your home? Um, Right now, uh, we've been in this house since 2009. I've refinanced in 2012. We only owe just over $100,000 on the home. It's probably... Valued at maybe uh, 275 280 Okay, and how much do you think it's going to cost you to build the what's usually referred to as an in-law suite? Uh, the rough estimate was 78000 Okay, so you'll have plenty of equity where you can qualify under any circumstance. So we're going to talk about a couple of possibilities. So a home equity line is a floating interest rate loan. So you take it out, it's the cheapest to originate, has very few closing costs, but the rate can change under most home equity lines every 30 days. And it can get to be pretty expensive money. So you only want to look at a home equity line 
if the 75, you said 75,000? 78, 78, 78, right, let's yeah. say 80,000. How many years do you think it would take you to pay off the 80? Well, I was going to see about, as I said, I'm a disciple of the School of Howard. So um, I, uh, I've put away money that we previously had put away for uh, a rainy day, plus we have money allocated away that we were using for uh, ShareBuilder back in the day. I'm sorry, uh, a former company. That, yeah. uh, and so I have money there, so I'm thinking we might have to finance at least half of that, 50. Okay, so, and how long would it take you to wipe out 50 grand? Uh, paying it off, uh, I'd probably have, we'd probably have to reduce um, contributions to other things, so I, I'm thinking 10 years. All right, so the, the reason I ask that, that automatically eliminates a home equity line. Okay. Because you need to look at a fixed rate loan, and there are going to be two angles you can look at. One is doing a home equity loan with a fixed rate for 10 years. It's a product that's very heavily a credit union product. So funny because last caller is about credit unions as well. So are you a member of a credit union yet? Yes, sir. So go to them and see what they'll offer you on a home equity loan. The other alternative you should look at, it's crazy, is to look at refining your first mortgage. Okay. What's your interest rate on your first? 2.85. Okay, so that's going to be a tough road there, except you're going to take out debt that will be 50% of your existing loan. So compare at the credit union taking out, let's say, uh, a new 15-year mortgage that would encompass both, or leaving your loan as it is and taking out a 10-year home equity loan. Okay. And those are going to be the two best options, because in one case you'd be doing a new first mortgage at 150000 In the second, you would leave your first mortgage at such an incredibly low rate in place as it is and just take out the other fifty on the 10-year home equity loan at a fixed rate. Normally at this time, you would be hearing a Clark Rageous moment, but today we're in sizzling deal territory because... Today is National First Responder Day, which I was not aware there was such a day, but how cool that honors people who work for state government or local as law enforcement, firefighters, emergency medical service personnel, their families. So it was announced today, but it actually goes into effect November 1st. So... What this deal is, is it's from T-Mobile. It's called Magenta First Responder Plans. And so families of first responders get their cell phone service with unlimited data and free Netflix and whatever else you get. You get it at half price. So it works exactly like the T-Mobile Magenta Military Plan. It is basically a mirror image of it, and it allows for very, very cheap rates after the first two people, typically $10 a month per person past the first two, and it is a steal of a deal, and it is the same as for military personnel. And right now, they've got a tie-in that if your phone is looking a little beat up and old, 
they have a deal where you get a new phone for half price for both military members and first responders. You get Samsung's, including the Note 10, Note 10 Plus, for half price. And what's great is when T-Mobile does something like this, AT&T and Verizon both respond usually within about three or four days with their version of, hey, we offer this great deal. They don't say two. They act like nothing happened from T-Mobile. So watch the next couple of days if you serve in the U.S. military or you are a first responder of some kind for deals just for you. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is your bargain-saving destination throughout the Christmas holidays. We update deals around the clock. So this is a rip-off alert about you ripping yourself off. New report says more than half of all U.S. workers who get paid vacation from work, because a lot of U.S. workers get no paid vacation at work, but more than half of all workers that get paid vacation won't take it, according to a survey done by Priceline. And a third... Don't even use half the vacation they're allowed to use. So this is loco. And I know there are people who feel like there's unwritten pressure at work, that you're expected to be at work all the time, but your employer is an idiot if that's the message they give you. They are dumber than a box of rocks because the reality is your performance deteriorates and your loyalty to an employer diminishes when all the place is about is an endless treadmill of work because you're not going to give your best performance when... Life just isn't as much fun anymore. There's something so valuable about clearing your head and taking time off and being away. And if you're a longtime listener to me, you know that I never, ever allow a vacation day to go to waste. I work really way too much when I'm working, but I will tell you, I take my time off and I cherish it. It is precious to me for the time I get to be with my family and the time I get to go experience other things. And when I come back, I'm better at what I do. And that's true for all of us. And let's face something, okay? None of us are indispensable. So if I suddenly stopped and I wasn't there anymore, just bam, it was over. No more quarters in the machine. I just shut down. 
it, it would be fine, right? My family would be upset, hopefully. <laughs> but that would be it, right? I mean, you know, we are, none of us are in life where us not existing destroys where we work unless it's a one-person company. And so please, particularly if you work for some big bureaucratic organization, take your time off. And you know what? If you're shamed for taking a vacation, let me tell you, when the chips are down in your life, that company's not going to be there for you. They're not going to care. You need to be somewhere where you're valued, your contributions are respected, but also you as a human being are respected. Now, usually, I talk about this between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and this year I decided that that was too late in the game. Now I'm giving you two full months to burn those vacation days, and I want you to do it. Take that time for yourself. Take that time for your life. And by the way, I promise you, you will be more productive at work when you get back if you take that time off. And by the way, if you have some boss who thinks that he or she is so unbelievably valuable that they could never take time off, they will also benefit from taking time off. But you can't say that to them. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Hi, Clark. Chris, Thanks you are taking. sure you're you're worried about your dad. Why are you worried about your dad? Yes, uh, he has been with the same company for over thirty years, so all of his retirement savings are in the same four hundred one k. He's very conservative in how he's invested it. In fact, it's all in the form of cash right now as he is approaching retirement. And I don't think I can convince him to diversify for the sake of increased returns. But I think, and I'm not sure, that he should have it diversified simply for the sake of making sure he's fully FDIC insured, as he does have over 250000 So the money in the 401k is pretty much as safe as it could be. Okay. So it's, it would be extremely rare that anything in the 401k would be at risk. See, I thought you were going to say something else. Some 401k plans used to have a big push for employees to have their 401k money in the company stock, and that I would be terrified by. But if your dad has gone what is really in my opinion, too far the other way, which is having all the 401k money essentially in cash, um, that's not at risk being that way, but his long-term future is at risk having the money just in cash. Because how old's your dad? He is going to be 60 in a year. All right, so your dad, uh, if the actuarial tables are right, your dad has probably... Um, two and a half decades in front of him. Now, if you think about at 60, we're talking about thinking back to when he was 35 
and how much has gone on in his life between 35 and 60, he's got that much life potentially in front of him now. And so having money just in cash or savings or whatever is a choice that means that inflation over these decades will really harm the money he's got. And I would rather like to see him in a conservative portfolio in that 401k or even if he moved the money to his own IRA or something like that, something other than just being in cash. So your worry is not one that I would really uh, be too concerned about. Okay, great. What's your dad going to live on? Uh, Social Security and the retirement uh, income from the 401k. So Um, that's what he's got in front of him. All right. Yeah. So I think it would be really wise for him since he has managed to save. You said it was a quarter million, right? Uh, actually closer to 700000 Oh, my goodness. Where did I come up with a quarter yeah. million? 700000 is sitting in cash? Yeah. The 250000 came from, you know, the FDIC insurance level that I was concerned about. Oh. Um, him maybe in a, the event of a disaster, him only be, being covered. Covered for degree. the two fifty. All right. What yeah. I would really love for your dad to do is sit down with a financial planner who signs the fiduciary pledge, which means that the advice that he would receive is advice where the individual is only giving advice that's in your dad's best interests, just to get a plan in front of him for how he's going to handle what may be another 25 years of life that he wants to make sure this money lasts. And I know this isn't the question you called to ask me at all, but it's where I'd really like for you and your dad to think about. And I think a great outlet would be for him to go sit down with somebody at a Garrett Planning Network office and you pay him by the hour to give advice on what they would recommend that your dad do with this huge pile of money that's got to last the next many decades. Great. I think that's enough to motivate him to, uh, to take those steps. Well, great. great. And uh, congratulations to him for having saved so much money through the years because that makes such a difference in what his life is going to be like in retirement. Trey is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Trey. Hey, Clark. I've got a question for you about life insurance. So it's open enrollment season here at my company, and I know a lot of companies around. And right now... Uh, my wife and I have 10 times our income in the group policies at work. And I know you and others have talked about it's a good thing to move it out from the group policy for any supplemental coverage you have and then get that through your own insurance plan. I'm wondering what the, what the I guess, rule of thumb would be on when does that become too expensive? I have priced out with a broker for um, level term uh, 10 times income for both of us, and it would end up costing us about double what we're paying right now. So I'm just wondering, at what's that line that I should just stay with the group or move on to the, the other company? That's a great question. All right, so the broker who quoted you, was he or she quoting you just one insurer or were they quoting multiple insurers? 
they say they get multiple, but they shared the best with me is what they told me. All right. I would and like I you have- I would like you to go to one of the online quotation services and see if those numbers are in fact accurate. because uh, mm-hmm. usually coverage in a group will be more expensive than what you can buy on your own because there's no medical underwriting. So I'm I'm really surprised that it was so much money. Now, with a level-term policy, were you looking at 20 or 30 year? It's a 30. All right. Okay. So that makes sense now. The reason that would be more money, and in the example you gave, double, is remember, when you buy that, the premium is going to be higher in the first year versus what you could buy in a one-year policy, but the premium stays the same for three decades. So with the right. with the group policy at work, every year it becomes more expensive as your actuarial risk becomes higher because they are quoting based on your age each year. I see. But it's also good for you to to go online and check one of the sites that will quote you from many different insurance companies. And I've got some links for you at Clark.com in our insurance section that would make it worth doing. So the, the reason, though, that I like for you to own your own policy instead of owning a, a group life insurance is with most plans, you're not going to be able to keep that policy and just pay the premiums yourself when you're no longer employed by that company. And you could be at a point in your life where you can't medically qualify for a policy because who knows what kind of illness we might unfortunately develop over the years. So are you a lifer with where you work or is it uh, pretty possible that you might switch jobs at some time over these decades? Definitely could be switching. I'm in my late 20s and my wife is about the same age. So for both of you, I think there's a great advantage to you owning your own policies that would just follow you through your life as your careers change and all of that. So I would really love it for you to go get quotes. And if you don't like the whole medical exam thing, I've got a couple of companies now on my insurance section that no longer require that you have a medical, uh, you know, a physical for the issuance of a life insurance policy. But in answer to your original question, if it turned out everybody was like double what a policy would cost at a place of work, I actually think it would be worth it for you buying a 30-year level term, even if the initial year you're paying double, because over time that will all work out in the math but you don't a policy that's yours and is portable with you over your working lifetime. So I know this is weird. You're hearing me, cheap guys, say, hey, it might make more sense to pay more up front than to pay less with an employer group plan. Troy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Troy. Hey, how are you today? Great, thank you, Troy. You're worried that you are going to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for (laughs) credit cards? Yeah, my, my wife and I currently, we, we have uh, five credit cards. Um, and before you get <laughs> worried about that, uh, we, we never carry a balance uh, and we pay it off every month. I'm not worried about five credit cards at all. Okay. I remember um, <laughs> being on an airline that they used to do these contests 
and they asked who had the most credit cards. And I was on two different flights. They did this. And one flight, the person, one who had 13 cards, the next time the person had 23 on their person because you had to (laughs) show how many you had. So five is nothing. Nothing to fret about. We're lightweights. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I know this is freaky weird, but having more credit cards over time gets you a higher credit score than having fewer. Okay. Or, or did I just flunk English? Am I supposed to say or less? Whichever it's supposed to be, you knew what I meant. So the reason that is, is that roughly a third of what makes up your credit score is your utilization of the credit cards you have. And so the lower the percent of charge volume versus your available limits, the higher your score. So it seems backwards to people, but having more credit cards actually can generate a significantly higher score for you than having a smaller number of cards. Hmm. And a lot of times people will close an account thinking they're going to raise their score and they actually lower their score. On the FICO scoring system, they lower it just based on utilization. On the much less frequently used Vantage scoring system, it is a double whammy in that it affects your ratios of what percent of your available credit you're using. And under the Vantage system, it reduces your credit history. So uh, FICO counts credit that you've had over the years in your mix Vantage only counts what's today's credit. So it's a really bad thing to close accounts. Okay, yeah, we learned that from you. In fact, the cards we we don't use much anymore. Instead of canceling them, we've sort of put them in hibernation mode. All right, well, don't leave them completely in hibernation mode. Try to use them once or twice a year for any level purchase, even five bucks. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.